Catherine, while reading this book, I wanted to know what you found so fascinating about the public lives versus the private lives of particularly these three very privileged young women that we get to meet, Ash, Ruby and Annie. I think really all of us have darkness and light inside of us. So when that idea for an unreliable narrator popped into my mind, I actually simultaneously felt so um, compassionate toward this girl who at times is completely horrible. You know, she's, <laughs> yeah. she's loving to her friends, almost to a fault, controlling almost. And at the same time, she is so damaged and, and experiences so much pain. So what I was trying to do, Rihanna, and I hope I was able to, I wanted to take a character that maybe wasn't inherently likable, but I wanted to take my readers on this journey where they started to fall into love and hate with a girl that we all know. And in some ways, Annie is a girl who's inside all of us. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't done, right? We've all made mistakes. And yet we still have to navigate our lives. We still have to front up to the people we love. And underneath everything, there's reasons for why we are the way we are. And I really wanted to have mothers and daughters, teenage girls especially, take a look at themselves with maybe more compassion. It's interesting because Annie is kind of a dark character. It doesn't start off that way, but the more you kind of learn about her and kind of what's going on, and I'm not going to give that away because that's part of the journey that you go on, but she also has all of these other things going on with her, you know, her issues with her father. I mean, what kind of families do Annie, Ash and Ruby come from? I mean, what do we learn about their mothers? Because their mothers play such a, a big part in this story as well of the way that they talk about their mothers and the way that they interact with their mothers. Absolutely. So there's two really key themes that run through the novel, and one is the theme of the absent father, and I think it's really critical for readers to realize that often teenage girls struggle when they haven't had the kind of male support that they need in their lives. And it's very tough for them. And then in response to that, in the novel, we also see a group called The Mothers. And they are maybe kind of classic Upper North Shore women. And I suppose I can say that because I include myself in there people who really want the best for their children, but maybe take it to an extreme where they are trying to be loving, but end up veering into being highly critical, where they want the best for their daughters, but they want so much for them that they can't stop themselves from always just kind of criticizing. If you could only be a little more this or a little less that, so needing to do that, I guess they call it helicopter parenting, or maybe even bonsai children where they're under pressure constantly from family. And I, I see teens around me like that. I have two teenage boys. I think their world can be pretty tough. And so I wanted to, in Love, Lie, Repeat, show teenage girls and maybe mothers too that there's really room for all of us to understand each other a little better and give some grace, some breathing room while we're raising these amazing kids. 
Well, Catherine, I was going to ask you about that because I get the sense that you really do get an understanding of how this world that you might not be involved in works and what's, you know, those um, kind of secrets going on in the background, all those things that, that don't get talked about in public or even at home. And, and I mean, did coming from Canada to Australia and being a part of that world yourself give you a different perspective when wanting to write about this and setting your book in this place? I mean, how much did you draw on what you were seeing yourself? This is really an interesting question. I love that you asked it. So back when I started my career, I actually did a a master's degree and realized I could be a high school English teacher. So I taught at a private school and I spent a lot of time with teenagers and I, I love young people because they are really mini adults in a lot of ways. They are so smart, so perceptive. And then when I moved to Australia in my early 30s and became a mother myself and always wanted to write books, I knew that my literary background and the degrees I did in English would somehow inform the kind of book that I wanted to write. And so I went on this journey with Love, Lie, Repeat with my own hard look at my own parenting, you know, the the music lessons that started age four and the private schools and the pressure and the fact that grown adults in Sydney often apply for jobs and still talk about where they went to high school. Yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) It's a thing here. In Canada, it is not a thing. I mean, in Canada, we only talk about where we went to university. But here in Australia, that was so shocking to me. And my kid was four, and I didn't have him down on any school lists. And and people thought I was crazy, and I didn't even know I was supposed to. (laughs) And then slowly, I know, I got drawn into the whole world of that. And it's been fascinating. Again, I just think we do put a lot of pressure on young people. And I think the the rifts in who they are starting to show because of that pressure. And so whether it's the girls in the novel are competitive with each other, they're competitive with other girls, they are also, you know, beset with all of the common problems that teenage girls face, like their food stories and what do they do with that is is that a battle their whole lives and things like you know social media and how that impacts them and friendships you know how do you keep a a friendship group together well as adults it's very easy as adult women to be supportive of each other and Rihanna you're probably like me you probably have a lot of adult female friends who you love but it's tricky in high school Oh, it's so complicated. And I think that's one thing that you forget as an adult of those complications that you went through when you're 16 and 17 and dealing with those friendship groups and where you start changing as a person as well. So therefore, sometimes your friendships change as well. And you might not be friends with who you started out with to where you end up before you graduate and things like that. And I I wanted to know about this, Catherine, because I found this really quite interesting in terms of in this book, you know, between the conversations that Ash, Ruby and Annie have and their friends, but their frenemies, I wanted to kind of understand the way that you wrote them in that it's quite interesting when they're talking about different things and particularly people's behaviours in this, you know, and what Ruby does to Annie, which you learn in the book, and it has something to do with Ash's half-brother trip. But I wanted to know, you know, did you go in wanting to write where these girls weren't necessarily, you know, being the people with pointing out the ethics of a situation or pointing out the morals of a situation that you kind of wanted to leave it that way because 
that is kind of the world that they're working in, where no one really completely checks them or completely gives them the truth of what they're doing or calling them out on what they might be doing? It's really interesting. It's the whole question of judgment, actually, isn't it? So yeah. what, I, what I think I've done in the novel is used an unreliable narrator who moves through her life and so much needs control because she has this horrible secret in her past and she can't even come to terms with it really herself. And this secret is what drives everything she does and what she wants more than anything is what every single human on the planet wants, which is just to be loved. So the basic questions that we all ask all of the time are, do you see me? And do you love what you see, regardless of who I am? And so I think the novel really became an exploration of that. How terrible can a person be? And can they still deserve love? And I think the answer is yes. Margaret Atwood was an inspiration for this novel in a way. And I wanted to ask about how much of, you know, the group call themselves the Sirens. I understand that that's in reference to one of her works. But, I mean, how much of Margaret Atwood's work inspired you with this book? Oh, it's such an interesting story. So, essentially, what happened is um, I needed to write a novel and I walked by my bulletin board and saw a copy of the poem Siren Song, which is really beautiful. It starts with the first line. This is a song that everyone wants to learn, the song that is irresistible. And I thought to myself, who is this beautiful siren, the woman who will draw sailors in onto the rocks and be both completely compelling and also highly untruthful and yet always so in control. So Margaret Atwood's work to me is amazing. I've been a fan. Canadians read a lot of Canadian authors. Which is unusual I, for a country. Like they're one of the few places that actually read their own authors, aren't they? Really huge supportive people of their own authors. And we all sit around at dinner parties and talk about what the latest books are, <laughs> and what, you know, what we've read. So it, it's really interesting. And I've loved her work since I was 14, and I found a copy of Power Politics, which is a book of her poetry. And what most people don't know about Atwood is that her poetry is so fantastic. So Siren Song was a really powerful poem for me because it explored female beauty. And I know, actually, from seeing photos of you, I haven't met you yet in real life, you're a beautiful woman. And beautiful women often have a sense of discomfort, I think, about their own power, especially when they're young girls. Because you transition from being a 10, 11, or 12-year-old, you're out running around the yard with your brothers, whatever you do, and then suddenly it's like a magical change comes over you, and you're handed power. And so my character, Annie, in the book really is the quintessential siren, like in Atwood's poem. Oh, and would you say that she is really exploiting, understanding what that power is? And she really understands what power she has. She does. She does. And I think teenage girls, listen, they're very sophisticated people. I know even 20 years ago when I was very young and teaching high school, the level of sophistication of the students always surprised me. I would never talk down to young people. And I know I'm like you, you're a big supporter of YA books here in Australia. 
I think teen readers are smart and savvy and sophisticated. And so I wanted to write a really sophisticated novel for them. And that's what's come through for people. I'm so excited because everyone's saying the same thing. I read it in one sitting. You know, I needed to find out what happened yeah. to Casey. And they're liking the level of sophistication. There's a lot of ideas in there. There's Margaret Atwood. There's all of those references. There's a lot of symbolism that I think is really critical. And then a really strong Sydney setting. And I hope, Rihanna, you can tell that I love Australia from how I wrote that book. Well, having visited where the crystals are kept in the Australian Museum, I could visualize that entire <laughs> kind of scene that you played out and, um, and and really enjoyed actually those elements of Sydney that came into it because I don't think it's it doesn't feel completely Sydney-centric, but there are those moments where you go, oh, that's right, they're in Sydney. That's right. They're, you know, this is where this book is set. Um, and then there's obviously a part where you get to draw on your own background of Victoria in this book as well. That's right. So I take the reader right back to Canada and there's a really lovely scene that I adore where orcas are breaching in the inside passage between Vancouver and Victoria when the the teens are on this ferry on the ski trip and that is exactly what happens you know it's they're killers right they're called killer whales and they're just amazing animals and to see them breach like that that's the pacific northwest that i know and love so one of the publishers at penguin said to me this is your love song to sydney and to australia and i think really it's my love song to canada as well so that's what i was trying to achieve Catherine, you mentioned before that this is very much a book about the pursuit of perfection and Trip, the half-brother of Ash, who comes into this story, who comes from Victoria where he's been at boarding school, he's not really the pursuit of perfection in that way. But I wanted to know, why did you want to write his character the way that you did in that he's a bit of a player? <laughs> I'm just mm. putting that out there. He plays. Yes. <laughs> Rihanna, can you tell I've been a bit disappointed? <laughs> I think the themes are Not of, at all. Um, not at yeah. all. <laughs> I think all women or a lot of women can relate to disappointment in relationships, you know, no matter who those relationships are with and without any spoilers. I want to say that the book is inclusive and I think people love who they love. And I think that Annie was so traumatized and disappointed by her own father abandoning her that maybe she seeks that out in relationships as well. And I think it's quite realistic, honestly, to have you know, this the scene where Annie really is trying to decide whether or not she wants to get a tattoo with mm. Trip. I loved that scene. I loved writing that scene. Um, and I think relationships between young people are often quite fraught and quite intense, right? And yes, absolutely, he's a player. And he's also pretty much the only male character who has a speaking role in the book. Yeah, and someone who she can talk to or feels that she can talk to as well. Yeah, I think she feels she can manipulate him and then is con constantly shocked when she can't. <laughs> and so there's this play of what can she what can she do? And really, if you read the Atwood poem in the book, I think it's around page 20 that it occurs. We were so lucky to be able to get permission to reprint it because it is such an important poem. You will see that the trajectory of the novel completely follows the trajectory of that poem. So yeah. the poem really was the novel for me. 
Oh, and that, what did it mean to get permission to be able to print? Because I'd wondered how you'd done that. Oh, it's quite common, but it takes a lot of work. So we were really lucky to have permission for that. And we were also hugely lucky to get permission for the cover image, which was shot by a very famous photographer, an international fashion photographer, Joshua Codwell. And that image is called The Dripping Roses. And he photographed a series. And I have to say, when my publisher, Zoe Walton, pushed the book cover across the table to me, I literally started to cry and hyperventilate. I couldn't even speak because (laughs) I felt like the cover of the book was the book. The cover of the book, the beauty, the disappointment, how that gorgeous image was altered in dripping nail varnish. You know, that's to me, that was really symbolic and so beautiful. So physically, the book is gorgeous. And I love that it's a pretty book. I love that it's a beautiful book. The inside design is lovely as well. So, Catherine, I mean, how did you feel about this writing process for your debut novel? You know, it's really exciting because, Rihanna, I'm in the middle of my life and I love being an example for women of what they can achieve. I love being able to stand in front of people and say, I wanted to be a writer my whole life. But I didn't really know it was possible. And so all I did is I went around telling myself these stories inside my head for years and years and years. And finally, when I was 48, I thought, this is it. I'm just going to sit down and write a story down. And so that's what I did. And I feel so fortunate to be with really one of the best publishers in the world. Penguin Books is amazing. My publisher has been amazing. The whole team at Penguin has been wonderful. The entire experience has been so great. But to be able to say to other people as well, you can achieve your dreams. And whether that's writing a novel and starting in the middle of your life as an absolute beginner, it's something that's open to you. You know, it's really just one foot in front of the other. Catherine, I also feel like there are some sea themes in here. And I wonder if that's, you know, the, the common thing that you have with your husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question. We had a great start to our marriage. It was very exciting. He was a navigator in the Canadian Navy and then got headhunted actually by the Australian Navy and got offered automatic citizenship and that was right before we met so we met and it was this complete whirlwind this handsome guy in a uniform saying <laughs> if you love me i'm moving to australia so marry me and come along and then he went to sea for months and months so that's kind of what happened and then eventually he moved out of that career but being part of the defense force i have to say i know people have mixed feelings about it But I need to say publicly that those families give so much to the country in terms of protection that people don't really see, in terms of, you know, just keeping the country safe and and giving up time with their own families and being gone for so long. So, yeah, there are definitely some sea themes that occur in the book, and that's probably part of the history why. And also a good person to go to when you were like, I don't know what to call this book. (laughs) (laughs) That was a funny story. So I'm a copywriter. And what a lot of people don't know is that authors really, in order to have the privilege to write, unless they are incredibly famous or their book sells everywhere, we all need to work. 
And that's why I love the fact that people are buying Lovely Repeat and buying it as gifts for their friends and sharing it because it, it allows me to write the next book, quite honestly. And so in my work life, I'm a copywriter and I have a business here in Sydney. And so I came up with literally 32 titles for the book, <laughs> 32. And it was my husband finally who said, I think Love, Lie, Repeat is the title. So he was the one who named the book in the end. And Catherine, you just hinted that it's what allows you to write the next book. <laughs> Have you started writing that next book? I don't really need details. I know you probably can't give me details. I assume there's someone on the other side there stopping you from giving her details. But have you started that next book? The next manuscript is actually in with Penguin. So we'll see how that one goes. 